0: Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvallotton.com. Let's just grab our hand and pray. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for this day. And we pray for just a real strong spirit of revelation, that you would just open the door of identity for us, both of who you are and who we are. And Lord, we pray that you would establish a beachhead in our lives that would actually take us into this next amazing season. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I normally, they always ask for a title, and I think Bill's the same way. Like, I don't actually have a title most of the time, but this time I have a title. Are you ready? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who am I, and what's my call? (laughs) And actually, my daughter, Jamie, stand up, Jamie, just for a minute, say hi. This is my daughter, Jamie. Her and her husband are pastoring four uh, churches on the coast with a team of people. And uh, Jamie wrote a blog about identity, and it really inspired me one morning, and I was, just started thinking about this whole idea of what do I see in the mirror when no one's defining me? And how many of you know you talk to yourself more than you talk to anyone else? Uh, Candace, I think, it was uh, two or three months ago. She shared this whole thing about self-talk and uh, and identity, and you know, it matters what you say to you, right? It matters what you say to you. Look, why don't you turn to Second Corinthians chapter three, and I want to I want us to read a verse together, verse eighteen. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Can we do it together? I'll read part of the verse and then you repeat it. But we all with unveiled face behold, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord The Spirit. Spirit. This is really a powerful verse. How many of you know that you are no longer a sinner when you receive Jesus Christ? That you're actually a saint. You used to be a sinner, but how many of you know 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. That word new, as we've shared many times here, is the word prototype. It means you're the very first creature ever made in the image and likeness of God. How many understand when you, when you look at, at Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror because you were made in his image and he's reflecting back to you the image that you were made in. Are you with me? Part of the challenge is that anything that threatens to re-identify God will also re-identify me. How many know that what it means to weather, weathering storms in life means that God's real identity remains intact? We just went through a very difficult season here. If you're part of this Bethel, part of our Bethel family, whether you're here or, or you're following us from a, a little bit from a distance and watching today, you know we had a baby die, two-year-old die, and, and uh, we, we prayed for resurrection. That didn't happen. Obviously, she's in heaven, and we, we were suffering the loss. Uh, one of the challenges we have when we weather a storm like that is: Does it affect God's identity in us? In other words, do I see God different? Because how many of you know, whenever I re-identify God in a negative way, I'm also re-identifying me because I'm mirroring the image of God. Are you with me? So if I go through something like that and, and I, I begin to say, well, you know, God God doesn't care. God made that happen. You know, you just never know how God's going to behave. And, and next time I enter a challenge or crisis, I realize that I've reduced my faith in God to something I can do or something I can anticipate. Help me understand, whenever I reduce God, I actually reduce me. Good point, Chris. Too late. (laughs) I believe the cry for identity is at the root of so much pain and dysfunction. What I see when I look in the mirror when no one else is defining me for me is crucial to me. What I see when I look in the mirror, when no one else is defining me for me, is crucial to me. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. And I actually did a whole series called um, Learning to Think on on Romans chapter 12 and uh, uh, some other verses. But verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that amazing? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. How many know you can't change your life? How many of you have tried that already? But if you change your mind, he'll change your life. You have more conversations with yourself than anyone else. We just talked about that. And what you say to yourself matters. What you say to yourself matters. And so... uh, uh, you know, I, we, we used to have, I think this is around three years ago, we had a, a, a gal in our, ta- in, our, in our neighborhood, not a very big gal, probably maybe 100 pounds gal, a very small one woman, and she had two Mastiff dogs. I think they're called Mastiffs. Is that what you call them? There's huge dogs. Like, we have a dog that weighs about 115, 120 pounds. This dog was massively bigger than our dogs, two of them. And she would take them for a walk, She would take them, quote, for a walk (laughs) down our street pretty nearly every morning. At least I saw her many times in the morning. And they would be dragging this little 100-pound girl, lady, down the street, and they would go from yard to yard, peeing on their lawns, (laughs) pooping in their driveways, and she'd be trying to get them back into the street. And that reminds me of how so many of us think. (laughs) See the question is, are you controlling your thoughts or are they controlling you? See the challenge is, I think that for the challenge for so many of us, and I have to tell you this was my challenge for many years, I'm not perfect at it to this day, but much better, is that we don't, we haven't, you know, we haven't dog trained our brains. <laughs> like every day is a walk. And we wake up sometimes with anxiety, like, I don't even know what my mind's going to think today. I'm like, I'm a prisoner to what my mind thinks. Instead of saying, you know, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10 says, take every thought captive. How many know those thoughts are supposed to be my prisoner? I'm not theirs. But what happens is, is that oftentimes, instead of being transformed, I am being conformed to the image of the world because... I don't actually take control of my thoughts. I don't even know I'm supposed to. And meditation for some people is like giving the dog something that would calm them down for a little bit. You know, I, I'm like, give the, dog, give the dog some treats so he won't bother me today. And I, what I mean by that, metaphorically speaking, is I keep my brain busy with some stuff. Like maybe I you know, go to the movies and maybe I, I get involved in porn or I'm doing stuff to feed the dog because I don't actually know how to train him. And what the dog needs, metaphorically speaking, is a shock collar. We'll call it a training collar. Sounds so much better. My brain needs to be trained if, can I say, transformed because right now it's conformed and the world is telling my brain what to think. I went to a men's retreat. It was really powerful. It was about 3,000, 4,000 men there in Florida. And the the main speaker, he said this, men go to the gym every day to work out their body, but they don't take 10 minutes to pray. They have a $100,000 body and a 20 cent spirit. (laughs) I hate to say it, but we're probably all guilty on some level. Like we spend all our time working out or doing whatever it is we want and wonder why the dogs do whatever they want and we're a prisoner to them. Maybe I should do this and Bill's gone. (laughs) Just, I did that for Bill. How you feel is not how you are. And how you feel is not who you are. I'm trying to say, feelings are great servants but terrible masters. Allowing my mind to generate thoughts through my feelings. In other words, I feel bad, so let's have some thoughts about that. How about this? I feel bad, so let's have some thoughts about what God thinks. Joshua chapter one, we also, this was all part of this uh, series that we did on thinking like God. Why don't you turn to uh, chapter one, verse eight. Um, And this is God interacting with Joshua. And Moses has died. And God is talking to Joshua about taking Moses' place. And one of the things Joshua encounters in this message of God with God is God says, I'm going to be with you as I was with Moses. And if I'm Joshua, I'm like, Moses failed. <laughs> Have you ever thought through that? God's like, I want to reassure you, just like I was with Moses. Moses died without going into the promised land. He failed. God's like, and I'm going to be with you thank you. Have the three of you talked about this? But he goes on and it's really powerful and we're not going to take on that that whole chapter, but you know, this is the chapter where God says three or four times, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, dismayed, or depressed. And God gives him this great exhortation. But I want us to actually settle on verse eight for this morning. Look what it says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Now, what, I love this verse and, and, I, and I realize that we're taking this verse out of context and doing what we do sometimes, overemphasizing it. But I want you to know that God was making Joshua successful. But in this particular verse, God says that if you meditate on my word, think about my word, talk about my word, and do my word, then you will make your way successful. In other words, God isn't saying, if you do this, I'll do that, which God does often, right? Reciprocity. If you give, I will give to you. Here he says, if you meditate, if you meditate, you will make your way successful, and you will be prosperous. How many would like to be prosperous? Okay, and those of you that didn't raise your hand, don't ask us for money. <laughs> Just want to be clear. Lord, note the people who wanted to be poor in here. <laughs> you preaching the prosperity gospel, and you're asking me for money to go on mission trips, so stop. <laughs> anyway, I threw that in there. That was extra. <laughs> the word meditate here is really interesting. The word meditate, one of the words, one of the main words for the word meditate is the word "growl"? Growl. In fact, let me read it to you in a in context. In, in context, Isaiah thirty-one four. For thus says the Lord to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. That word "growl" it's not the root word. It's the same word "meditate." I, I don't know about you, but I, when someone says "meditate," I sort of picture in the you know right to the right side of the. Definition in the dictionary some guy with his legs crossed, you know, rocking and humming. What are you doing? I'm emptying my mind. You, you, you opened your mind up so much your brain fell out, you know? It's like, that's not, <laughs> sorry, if I offended you, I meant to. <sighs> Streaming, when I stream, when we stream, I proactively offend you. (laughs) Listen, that's not biblical meditation on a serious note. That is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not passively emptying my mind. Biblical meditation is actually filling my mind with God thoughts. Biblical meditation is actually like a lion growls over its prey. It's, in other words, aggressively, proactively, I am actually taking thoughts. I'm taking bad ones captive. I'm in charge of my mind. My mind is not in charge of me. And I tell my mind, we will not be thinking that today. We will be thinking this. And as the lion growls over its prey, I begin to, I begin to bulldoze new neural pathways, if you will, to God thoughts. When I wake up in the morning thinking, you know, bad things are gonna happen today, I don't know, nothing really good. I go, oh no, we will not be, listen, you are going to prison. You're... Are you with me? You're staying in the kennel today, bark all you want, but we aren't listening. <laughs> and we'll be going this way today, all things work together for good, for, for God, those who love God are called according to his purpose. That would be me. Good things are gonna happen today. If they don't happen today, they'll be happening tomorrow, but they're gonna happen sometime this week. <laughs> Why? Because God said so. I was created for good works and therefore, you getting the idea? <laughs> you you know, probably are familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 30 because we've told the story for a lot of years. It's the story of Jacob and the, the spotted and speckled sheep and goats. Do you remember the story? And the first time, I think, Bill taught on this many years ago in Weirville. But this, if you don't know the story, I'll just give you kind of a, a brief overview. Jacob is working for his father-in-law, and his father-in-law has, keeps ripping him off. And so Jacob makes this deal with his father-in-law that his pay will be all the spotted and speckled sheep and goats. So if the goats and sheep are born with spots and speckles, then they will be Jacob's. If the sheep are born all black or all white or all one color, they will be leavens. And this is where the story gets crazy. Then Jacob goes down to the watering hole where the sheep and goats mate, and he carves spots and speckles. (laughs) Folks, you can't make this stuff up. When people are like, God would never do that. I'm like, have you read the Bible? God does all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> and He takes the spotted and speckled branches only when the strong sheep and goats are mating and he puts the spotted and speckled branches in front of them. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, I should have just read it. Cause you're like, Chris Bellatin, false prophet. I'm like, no, no, it's actually in the Bible. <laughs> and he puts the spotted and speckled, stop. <laughs> puts the spot and speckled branches in front of them, and whatever they see when they're at the watering hole, that's what they reproduce. And by the way, the outcome of that is all the goats and sheep that are strong and healthy, they're all Jacob's. All the ones who are like dragging a leg, got a bad eye, they're all Evans. <laughs> and ultimately, you know, Jacob becomes wealthy, so I like that part too. But here's the part that, that is a revelation. I'll figure it out one day that this is not not about agriculture. God is teaching us how his sheep reproduce. See, you don't become what you want to become. You become what you see at the watering hole of your imagination. Ladies, before there were mirrors, there were puddles. No, I mean, sincerely before anyone invented a mirror they would actually have a body of water if you didn't have a body of water like close to you you would actually have some sort of puddle some kind of you'd create some kind of water you know pool of water so that when you were ready to get when you're getting ready in the morning you could actually go see the reflection of your face in the water and you would you would put that water someplace where it was in the you know the right kind of light so you could see your face are you with me and what i'm getting at is that the sheep whatever the sheep saw At the watering hole of their imagination, that's what they reproduced. And I believe there's two ways to live. You can spend your life reacting to what you don't want to be, or you can just spend your life reflecting what God wants you to be. But here's the challenge. If you spend your life reacting to what you don't want to be, you have to keep in mind what it is you don't want to be. And the challenge is you don't become what you want to become. You become what you see the watering hole of your imagination and the question is are you a manifestation of his imagination or yours? In 1 John chapter 3 John writes Beloved now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as yet to what we will be but we know this when he appears that we will be like him because we will see him just as he is We know this. Listen, we don't know. Right now, we're we're children of God, but we don't know what we'll be in the future. What else will we be besides children of God? But we know this. When we see him, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him, what? Just as he is. What's the point? You become like the one you worship. Think about this. In Psalms 115, God is talking to David, and he says, he's talking about idols, and he says, their idols are silver and gold. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. And they they have noses, but they cannot smell. And they they have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. And they can't even make a sound with their throat. Listen to the last verse. Those who make them become like them, and everyone who trusts in them. How many know you become like the thing you worship? If you see Jesus, then how many understand that you become like him? Because remember, when you're looking at Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. But if you don't see him, you end up with a God in your own image. I make up my God. My God would never do that. My God would never do that. My God would never require that. My God doesn't require change because my God is me. Proverbs says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There was a saying, I never heard it before I read John Maxwell's book, but he said, there's a saying that says, you are not what you think you are, and you're not what others think you are, but you become what you think others think you are. And John said that that saying that, that Edom isn't actually totally accurate. He said, you're not what you think you are and you're not what others think you are, but you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. Now, if the most important person in your life is God, then how many know that you become what you think God thinks of you? Did you hear what I just said? You're not becoming what God thinks of you, you're becoming what you think He thinks of you. How many understand if what you think God thinks of you isn't what God thinks of you? Then you're not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks, which isn't what he thinks, therefore you're not becoming, You're not becoming a manifestation of his imagination because what he thinks because what you think he thinks of you isn't what he thinks of you, so you're not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks which is what you think but it isn't what he thinks, I got to teach the, uh, for a few minutes to the, the Blazer basketball team and I shared that with them and I called it white rap and they thought that was real funny and I had to repeat it like five times. They kept saying, say that again. Like if it comes out in a song someday, I might take credit for it. But my point is this, is that you are not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks. So how important is it that what you think he thinks is what he thinks? I'm saying, what does it actually mean to don't be conformed but be transformed by renewing your mind? Listen, listen. What's, what's it actually mean? It means that what you think of God, what you think he's thinking, he's actually thinking. Are you with me? It means that what, when I lay in bed in the morning and I say, God, what do you think of me? And I hear stuff... It's actually not filtered through my low self-esteem or my need to have false humility or all of my dysfunction and all of my disappointment. I'm not like hearing it through this crummy screen that I end up looking in a funny house mirror and thinking I'm looking at God. I'm saying our mirrors get distorted by broken thoughts and wrong ideas about what God's thinking. And remember, whatever I think God's thinking, anytime what God's thinking isn't, anytime when I think God's thinking isn't accurate, how many know it's actually morphing my identity? Because whenever I see something wrong in God, or let's say something not true in God, it's totally reflecting me and I'm looking into a funhouse mirror. It's not who God is. The world is shaping. See, if God's not shaping you, someone else is shaping you. Remember, Romans gave us two choices. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you know both? Like, there are two agendas for your mind. I was in Asia, uh, in, Taiwan, to, in Taiwan, just, uh, well, I've been there many times, but this is about four years ago. In fact, I leave Monday for Taiwan again. I love Taiwan and we were going to a, a large mall, For uh, there was a restaurant in there that we were going to eat at. And when we got there, we were walking to the restaurant and we walked by all of these uh, uh, stores, women's stores, clothing stores, I'm sorry. And in the, in the showroom windows, there was mannequins, there was probably a hundred of them. We passed probably by 15 stores, and all, all these women's stores in this one hall. And we're walking by these mannequins, and I said to Jonathan, who's the, one of the guys that's uh, in charge of the movement there, I said to Jonathan, Jonathan, have you noticed anything about the mannequins? He goes, oh, I don't look at mannequins. No, no, seriously. Did you notice anything about all the mannequins? He said, what do you mean? I said, did you notice that all the mannequins, there's no Asian mannequins? We're in Asia. That all the mannequins, they look like Americans or Europeans? They don't, there's not one single Asian mannequin? He goes, I never noticed that. And, I, and he goes, You know, do you know why they have, he, he told me, do you know why the mannequins are not Asian? I said, no, because it's not popular to look like an Asian in Asia. And the women want to be Europeans and Americans. I, I, do you get, I'm saying, there is another force trying to tell us who we are. <laughs> if you wear these clothes, how many know they're not selling clothes, they're selling an image. If you wear these clothes, you look like the mannequin. No, you won't. <laughs> I, I, I go in the, the sports stores and you see the mannequins for the... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I put on one of those body shirts and I do not look like the mannequin. <laughs> I'm like, how do you get it to do that? <laughs> Basketball shoes. Matt, you know, they paid, Nike paid No, not paid. They signed a billion-dollar contract with LeBron James. And you go buy those shoes. Like you can buy you can buy Nike shoes that are very close to the LeBron shoe. Like they're very close. They don't have the logo on them, and there's a little bit, you know, they're a little bit different. But basically the same shoe for $40 less. I go to the store and I see those shoes are $40 less, and I buy the LeBron shoes. (laughs) You know why? Because I want to be like LeBron. But I want to testify, they do not work. (laughs) They do not work. I still wear them around though. And whenever I feel bad about myself, I put my LeBron shoes on and I still feel bad about myself. Second Corinthians 521 said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me just say, who who am I? He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Wow, that's a powerful thought. We probably shouldn't talk about that too much. But he did it so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, you're not just righteous. You're actually the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Three chapters later, he turns to his team and he goes, you're the light of the world said, I'm the salt of the earth. And he turned to his team two chapters later and said, you're the salt of the earth. How many of you know that you look like your daddy? I have people all the time. I just, there was just a new Facebook thing came out about me. It shows a picture of me and it says, woof. <laughs> and it has one of my, co- my quotes. And here's the quote that they're quoting. And, and when you act like God, you're being yourself. It's actually in the Bible. It's in... Ephesians chapter five, verse one, it says something powerful. (laughs) It says, be imitators of God like beloved children. Be imitators of God like beloved children. Well, I don't think we should be like God. I think we should be like Jesus. (laughs) You should think about that for a minute. How How many would like to be like Jesus? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, no, I'll take Holy Spirit. No, I'll be the Father. How <laughs> many know Jesus is God. If you're trying to be Christ-like, the goal is to be like God. Okay, just to clear it all up for you. In Exodus chapter 38, I want to tell you this story. Uh, we're going to read chapter 38 if you want to turn there, uh, uh, just a portion of it. But in Exodus, um, God is telling Moses about the building of the Tabernacle of Moses. Now, um, there are several buildings in the Old Testament that were like holy buildings. The Tabernacle of Moses was God's idea. And if you read Leviticus and Exodus, uh, God tells Moses about the details of the Tabernacle. It's pretty dry reading, unless you're like really into that stuff. Because it's the kind of thing that you would hand your contractor like a blueprint. It's every detail, like... How big, the build, how big the building should be, how big each room should be, what kind of material it should be made out of, what color, even what, who should build each thing. I mean, it is like, it is laboriously boring. Unless you're really into it and you're like, oh, this is amazing, this means this, this means this. And, and I just want to pick up one piece of what God told Moses to do. It's in verse 8 of chapter 38. He writes this, or Moses writes this, Moreover, this is what God's telling him. Moreover, he made the, la- the laver of bronze with, its bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Let me just read it one more time. Moreover, he made the, the laver, a laver was like a sink or a bowl. Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its, with, with its bronze base from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Now, follow me for a minute. That may not mean much to you, but... So, the the tabernacle of Moses had three compartments. They had what was called the outer court. You know, when we sing, we'll enter his gates with thanksgiving, we'll enter his courts with praise. It's actually David's actually depicting this outer court where all the people who love God could come into the outer court. And then the next, uh, if you will, compartment or room was called the holy place. And all the priests, all the Levitical priests, could go into the holy place. Are you following me? And then there was one more room. It was called the Holy of Holies. And you can imagine just by the name of it that it was like the very special place. It was all aligned in gold. And only one priest could go in one time a year. And there was all kinds of requirements. And we won't take a lot of time to talk about that right now. But uh, he had bells on his tunic, which there were several reasons for them, but... Um, I'll tell you one reason in a minute, and they had a, they had a rope around him, so that when he went in the Holy of Holies, if God killed him, you couldn't go in to get him. So you had to pull him out. And one of the reasons he had bells on his tunic is so you could tell when he was dead. <laughs> the bells stopped ringing, pull him out. Okay, anyway, I mean, first of all, aren't you thankful for the cross? Okay. I'm making you more thankful every day, right? And if he sweat, if he sweat, the high priest, in the the Holy of Holies, he was killed. You know why? Because the Holy of Holies was supposed to represent the New Testament, that we we come into the New Testament by grace, not by our works. So anytime he projected that he worked to get in, God killed him. Like, oh, oh, happy days. <laughs> okay, that's not really our subject right now, but I thought it was interesting. But the lavers, the laver was a bowl when you got past the outer court and before you went into the holy place, the priests would wash their hands and their feet in a laver. But isn't it interesting that the laver was made out of mirrors, They got the mirrors from the Egyptians when they left Egypt and they plundered Egypt. They got the mirrors from the women, the bronze mirrors from the women, the Egyptian women. But the only mirrors they were required to use for the labors weren't just Egyptian mirrors. They were mirrors, listen to this, they were mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting or the tent of presence. This may sound a little boring, but I think it's actually profound. I think there's a powerful prophetic statement that God was making and he's saying this he's saying before you come if you want to come into the presence of God you must wash your hands the things you do and your feet the places you go in the presence in the identity of Christ you are looking are are you making sense I'm saying when my work comes out of the identity of Jesus how many know it gives me access to the holy place The priests were washing in the identity of Christ. They were looking in a mirror, and that mirror was actually, if you will, you know, people say, oh, you go to Bethlehem, you're going to get brainwashed. Yes, that's the idea. You get your brain washed. (laughs) You washed your brain in the identity of Christ because that gives you ability to do stuff with your hands and do stuff with your feet. You're actually representing Christ when you're looking in the mirror. Instead of looking at yourself, you're looking at Christ in the mirror, and it changes the way you work. Are you with me? James chapter 1, if you'll turn there, verse 21. James wrote this, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word and plant it, which is able to save your souls. Listen, to the next verse. But prove yourself doers. Everybody say doers. Doers Doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man should be blessed in everything he does. I love this because James says, if you look in a mirror, what we've been talking about, the mirrors Christ, and you are a hearer, you are, if you will, a seer, But you walk away from there and you're not a doer. That you actually forget who you are. But when you look in the mirror and you remind yourself, I was created for glory. I am no longer a sinner but a saint. And you begin to say, I am generous because he is generous. I am powerful because he is powerful. I am kind because he is kind. And we go through these this exercise of, I remind myself of who he is, and it reflects back who I am, and I go to the coffee shop the next morning. I just, I, I got up in the morning, I, I looked in the mirror, if you will. I looked in the mirror of his presence, I remind myself of the attributes of God, those attributes are mine. And then I'm standing in line for coffee, and I go, oh, I want to pay for the next three people in line. And I pay for the next three people in line, and I leave there feeling so good about myself. You know why? Because I acted out my identity. And James says there is an ecosystem. I think it, I do it. When I do it, it makes me think more of how good I am, how good he is. And then I I think it, and I do it. And this is the, the, if you will, the ecosystem of reciprocity in my identity is, I think it, but I do it. And when I do it, I think it. And when I think it, I do it. And when I do it, I think it. And suddenly, not suddenly, over time... I become confident in my identity in Christ because I didn't just think it, I acted it out. One of the challenges that we have, I, I, we're working among the poor a lot. This church, by the way, is very involved. We were just with the police chief uh, two days ago talking about how to help the homeless and the poor. And part of the challenge is, is that we, we, we get ideas that uh, they sound awesome. Like what the homeless people need is houses. Can we all agree? Of course. But before you give them a house, you have to give them an identity, because if you take a pauper and you put him in a palace, they'll make the palace a prison. You will always reproduce the environment around you that you believe that you believe you have within you. But if you take a prince and you put him in a prison, you'll make the prison. A palace. It's the story of Joseph. Put Joseph in prison. What happens? In a very short time, he's in charge of the prison. Why? Because he has a palace inside. Are you following me? You will always reproduce the environment around you that you believe you have within you. And I said in that meeting, like, I am all for building houses for everybody who needs a house. We should do it. But in 1970-ish, when I was a boy, young man, the government had the same issue. Paul, the, the whole thing of homelessness like we have right now, got very politicized. And so the outcome was they built apartments for the homeless people and they gave them for free. You know what the outcome was? You can go look it up. They became the worst ghettos in our nation because we put people in an environment around them that was better than they had within them and they reduced the environment around them to an the environment they had within them. And so there is another step that isn't just generosity. We can't just give the people, we must invest in them. Are you following me? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you were saved by through faith. That's not of yourself, it's a gift from God that it's not a result of works that no one can boast. You know what the next verse is? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I love these two verses, but I actually love that they're right next to one another. We are saved by grace, not by works. Least any man should boast. Next one. We are his workmanship, the word there is poema, poem. We are his workmanship created for what? Good works. That he prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Did you get that? Did you realize that before God created you, he created your work? No, you didn't get that because you were like. That's that. I have no idea what you just said. I'm saying, it says that God prepared the work beforehand. Before what hand? Before he created you, he created your work. Um, Lou Engle says it like this. God doesn't take a man, a woman, and and put a dream in them. God has a dream, and he wraps a man around him. The the point is is that the reason why you can't fail in life if you follow Christ is because he created the work and then he created the worker to be able to have everything they need to accomplish the work. Because you, were, you didn't get saved by works, but you got saved for works. I'm saying part of your identity is that you're a worker. When we give to people, and there, there's an exception, to what I'm about to say. There are very mentally ill, broken, physically broken people that will not fit into this category. So you and I both know that. But when we give to people who are capable of working and we give them money, I'm not talking about investing money, I'm talking about giving them money, we we actually create, we're actually funding poverty because we are taking them out of the reason they were created, which is good works. Are you following me? I'm saying, part of my identity, I don't want to have a works identity. Yes, you do want to have a works identity, because you were created for good works. <laughs> when when uh, Cain was mad at Abel, because God accepted Abel and his sacrifice, but wouldn't accept Cain or his sacrifice. When Cain And Cain was jealous, the Bible says, of Abel. And eventually he killed him. Before he killed him, God, who is called the Wonderful Counselor, sat Abel, sat Cain down and said, Cain, come here. You feeling down? You feeling low? Here's God's counsel. If you do good, will not your countenance be lifted up? Let me put it in plain everyday English. You're depressed, but if you work, if you do good stuff, your depression will lift, and you'll feel good about you. That was God's counsel to Cain. Thank you. And we have Validation, we'll find out in a minute if it's true. Just stay for a minute. Okay, we'll wait for the second one. We're waiting for the second one because there's always two witnesses. And I think the Lord was just telling me this morning, your message is gonna be on fire. Took some time with the Lord, he's like, you're going to be on fire this morning. I'm like, I'm on fire. It was the accidental pull. Very accidental. Very accidental, not intentional. Someone who loved my message. I want to finish with this thought. Let's recap. What you think about you matters. What you say to you matters. Your thoughts should not control you. You should control them. The way you get control of them, number one, meditate. What's that mean? I think about what God says. I take the thoughts captive in which they are not positive. They are not what God said. Did you hear me? So what I'm doing when I'm meditating, I'm sifting. I'm saying this thought over here, like... You're a bad person and God didn't forgive you for that. Remember when you slept with that woman? Remember when you did that thing? Yeah, well, you still really haven't atoned for that. I take that thought and I go, you'll be a prisoner until you change your attitude. (laughs) That dog will remain in the kennel until it can stop pooping on people's lawns. And this dog over here says, why don't we bring you the newspaper? I'm like, you can stay. Are you with me? So I meditate. And the last thing I do is I actually walk out the meditation through works. This piece is the piece that actually solidifies my identity. When I start walking out my identity, it, crea- it begins to create the ecosystem where I come out of depression, anxiety, all the other things. Because I am saying, I'm not just a thinker of the word. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm actually a doer of the word. Why don't you stand and let me pray for you? If I could have some of the, our team come up. If you, you might be in the room this this morning, is it the afternoon? This afternoon, by the way, God bless the 49ers. Seattle's going down. Listen, those were good thoughts. I am feeding both those dogs. (laughs) On a serious note, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you, you met Jesus and you walked away, none of what I shared today actually applies to you because we're talking about the mind of Christ, and you only have that if you follow Jesus. But if you'd like to follow Jesus, I'd like you just to raise your hand. In fact, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. So if there's anyone here you don't know the Lord, or maybe you're watching by Bethel TV and you don't know the Lord, I would just like to agree with you today that you're saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want him in my life. I want the Holy Spirit inside of me. I want to make a change in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I feel like there's a couple of people in here. If there's anybody in here you'd like to do that? Awesome. Well, Lord, I just bless these people of yours. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would release the mind of Christ to every one of them that we begin to meditate on your word and that we would make our way successful and that we would prosper. And I bless them in Jesus' name. I want you to say, I receive it for myself, for for my family, family. and my legacy. legacy. Amen. Thank you so very much. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvellton.com.